Hey guys, I'm Kunal. And this is Malisha. And we're going to be hosting a podcast called Little Big Questions, where we address little big questions. And today we wanted to start our podcast off with racial harmony, which is a pretty topical thing because right now in Singapore today is racial harmony. Day. So we're just going to have a conversation on that. Uh, just a little bit of a background. Uh, we both live in Singapore. Um, Molly, Molisha actually went to boarding school in the UK for a few years, but she spent most of our years in Singapore and I've been here since I was four and we both went to the same school. So, yeah. Great. So I just like to start off by saying that I spent a lot of my childhood in Singapore. So I spent a lot of my primary school, um, studying at UWC East, which was an international school. And growing up in Singapore and attending an international school put me in a very racially inclusive environment. Our school would always host these UN Day events, these concerts, all these days that would mark and celebrate our racial identities. And I felt that it was a very positive experience for me because I could really be proud of who I was. Actually, uh, I liked what you said about the fact that it was a racially inclusive place because UWC is a very, it's an international school. It's made for people who come from all over the world um, to settle in Singapore. And it's quite like Singapore in a sense because um, Singapore also is a melting pot of a lot of different nationalities and a lot of different cultures. And you see that a lot in its food and its culture and the way that, you know, a lot of different cultures are celebrated, even though the majority here are Chinese, um, Chinese ethnicity. But also on the other hand, um, I feel like UWC also made us, you know, like comfortable in a sort of bubble because... Uh, I mean, like, obviously, you must have noticed there's, there's not that many Singaporeans there, like, like true Singaporeans who've been born here or, you know, their f- parents are Singaporeans from before. Uh, it was mostly just international students who moved here after they were born. So I think, and especially because now that, you know, I'm in national service and I'm pretty much always surrounded by Singaporeans, uh, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a change, it's, it's been quite a, interesting experience for me to experience the other side of Singapore, which is, you know, like the biggest part of Singapore. But for some reason, you know, when we're uh, going to school in UWCA, it just doesn't feel like that because we're part of this global community, whereas we sometimes overlook the local community. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that because always I find myself thinking that I love Singapore because it's kind of fragments of different places around the world. But now that you say it, I've begun to realize that I found it difficult to actually reconcile with what the actual Singaporean identity is because I'd always find myself associating with its Indian parts, um, with its its Western parts as well. But I think, yeah, your NS experience really must have brought to light what actually it means to be a Singaporean. Yeah, because I mean, and, uh, you know, ever since it's been independent from Malaysia, Singapore's party line has always been that it's a racially harmonious place where everyone is welcome and it's not just a Chinese state, but rather it's a state of all the different foreigners and all the different migrants that have come here over the years since it was settled as a trading outpost by Sir Stamford Raffles back in 1848. So, and that's always been there. And the reason that, you know, we celebrate Racial Harmony Day today is because it marks, uh, it marks, I think there was a riot, um, a big racial riot in the 1980s between, um, between the Chinese population and the Malay population. And since then, um, from the 1980s, we've started celebrating this day as Racial Harmony Day to sort of, you know, remember what happened before then and, you know, as a way to, I guess, sort of paper over 
the you know differences that may exist in in trying to promote a racially harmonious view of Singapore, and so I think it's it's quite interesting because some people will say that Singapore is a very distinct um, taste to it. It has a very distinct culture and everything. While some people might say that you know it's not really that case because it's an amalgamation of different cultures. It's sort of you know just stuff that's you know mixed together, and what comes out of it is bits and pieces of different parts of around the world. And when you put them all together, that's what you get as a Singaporean culture. So it's quite interesting to think about racial harmony because at some point in Singapore, it sort of it sort of becomes a blurry line as to you know what actually race is, what actually culture is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point you raise, and I'm curious to see because given how multicultural Singapore is, I haven't really myself really looked into it and scrutinized how effective this term of racial harmony that we use is, and if it's actually apparent within society. Because, like you mentioned, we as international students, it's very easy for us to kind of settle in this bubble where we think, oh, we're very racially harmonious. But in reality, I completely agree in that I myself never really had too much exposure with um, making, say, for example, Singaporean friends or really immersing myself in Singaporean culture. Yeah, so in that regard, I've actually been really lucky in the sense that, you know, when most people from an international background go to NS, when they first enlist, there actually, uh, there have been lots of cases where, you know, they've been treated against uh, badly because, you know, they were Indian or they were not Chinese or Malay. And actually a lot of my friends, you know, gave me horror stories of how the first couple of weeks would be absolute hell, not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally, because you'd be so detached from everything, you know, but, and and, I mean, um, and even my friends who enlisted with me, uh, they also felt the same way. But for some reason, I I never felt that. I always felt that um, in my section when I was in, uh, when I was in BMT, um, my, my section mates were, they, they did treat me differently because, you know, I wasn't a true blue Singaporean, but it wasn't a bad different. It was just, they were curious about where I've come from. You know, they didn't know anything about my education, my lang- like what language do I speak at home? You know, how often do I go out to do Singaporean things? They, they just didn't know about me. So that's why they treated me differently because, and I mean, I was different. So it, it makes sense that they would, but it was more that they were curious and, um, and wanted to know more about me than, you know, they felt any negativity towards me. And I actually, you know, like, um, I struggled quite a bit, like, uh, like my friend said, I struggled quite a bit to fit in with them, but it wasn't because of lack of trying because they also really helped me a lot. And, you know, there's just obviously going to be like some sort of a barrier between different cultures, especially when you have to fit in, in such a short time. So it, it definitely was an interesting experience, but I would say that, you know, I didn't um, feel any outward racism. I mean, of course, there were a few comments here and there, but, you know, like, um, you just, um, as, as, you know, it wasn't as bad as, you know, my friend said it. And after being posted to my unit after BMT, it's been even better. You know, um, there, there's like all kinds of people there at unit and we, we're all like pretty friendly with each other. We're all friends. So it's not, I, I haven't personally experienced racism myself that much, but I know a lot of my friends have. So it's quite an interesting thing that I got really lucky and, you know, uh, my other friends haven't. I think it's really, I loved hearing your story because it was so personal and you discussed your personal experiences. Um, The information that I've gotten regarding this is basically just from studies carried out. And like you mentioned, it's really interesting to see because, yes, you don't see outright racism, right? But there still exist these racial stereotypes that are prevalent and embedded within society. Um, These studies found that 
even within the Singaporean community, different ethnic groups were less likely to trust other ethnic groups as compared to their own. And I think this appears to be a problem universally everywhere. And it leads me to question whether such biases are psychological and embedded within us. Or, and I'm, I'm curious to see if we can change them or if, if this will always exist and we just have to accept that we have to try our best to be racially harmonious, but it won't be 100% perfect all the time. I think, yeah, like to, to a certain extent, psychologically, you know, when, when we see someone from, you know, our country, our, our state or our city, we feel a certain kindred towards them, which might not be there initially. At, at first glance, you know, um, and, and I'm guilty of this too, and I think everyone is to a certain degree. When I see someone, when I see an Indian walking, you know, like walking in the same room or wherever, I'll like feel more friendly towards him and I'll, you know, be a little more friendly with him than I would with any, uh, with any other person because we just have that shared background that, you know, we can always tap into. And there's, there's a certain level of understanding that we already have about our culture, about our background, about our language, about our traditions that I, I couldn't possibly have with anyone else. But at the same time, I don't think it's impossible for us to, you know, overlook that difference. And again, like, um, like we've mentioned before, um, UWC was a very racially inclusive place. And I had friends who, you know, were of all different nationalities. So it's, it's, it can be a little jarring to, you know, like look past just your nationality to, you know, reach out and try to understand that after all, we're all the same people. It's just, you know, our names may be different. Our skin color may be different. We may practice different religions, have a different culture. But at the end of the day, we're all humans. And it's, it's just once you get past that, I think that's when society as a whole really starts to, you know, be harmonious together. Because now you're not looking at, you know, where someone came from, but you're looking at where they are right now. And that is in the same place as you. I also think, I mean, drawing away from Singapore and kind of exploring England, which is where I spent a lot of my education, I think it's also important to consider that a lot of, especially in England, I felt that there was a lot of ignorance towards kind of trying to understand other more niche cultures. Because before I moved, my parents warned me about this underlying racism. But of course, like you mentioned, being in UWC's environment, I never truly understood what that meant. But when I went to school for the five years that I was there, people were constantly confusing me with other Indian girls, with even sometimes other African girls because of the color of our skin. And I'd always considered this normal because I was so used to it. But reflecting upon it now, I realized how truly ignorant, I mean, English, the English society was in that sense, because school also did not really support um, all these extra cultures. And this, there, there seemed to be a superficial connection established between me and my Indian identity and it kind of made me feel like I had this loss of purpose and this loss of belonging and this was extremely frustrating for me. Yeah I totally get that actually because you know um, I have I, actually been thinking about this a lot you know just because of racial harmony day and just in general but I mean I say that I've had like a pleasant experience and I have for the most part but even before NS even before I enlisted there, there are a few subtle things that you catch on and, you know, um, I just sort of learned to, you know, like ignore them or whatever, because, you know, that's, that's part of living in a, such, such a racially diverse uh, country, because there's always going to be people who are different to you and they're going to view you differently. But, and, and it hasn't, you know, negatively impact, impacted me, you know, like maybe someone gives me a weird look 
you know, when I walk somewhere. But aside from that, it hasn't hurt me that much. <clears throat> but that being said, I mean, uh, maybe because I'm so used to it, uh, some people who are not, you know, um, that used to that sort of an experience, they might feel like that. And, you know, like, like you felt when you went to the, uh, when you went to the UK, you realize that, you know, we've been living in this bubble where, you know, everything seems fine, but really there's, there's a lot of intrinsic problems in society as a general, not just in the UK or Singapore, but everywhere that, you know, um, sometimes we're just not able to overcome. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think now as we're getting older as well, I think it's important for us to really explore and understand the viable solutions to kind of helping solve or at least make this problem better because a lot of us, both of us included, we've really overlooked the importance of cultural identity and racial harmony because it's something that we're just so used to existing in society, some problems. But I think it's important that we discuss, you know, some possible solutions that we can implement on a day-to-day basis as well to kind of reduce this. Yeah, I mean, obviously, and I, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, you know, what's going on in the United States and a lot of countries, really where, you know, um, the, the murder of George Floyd really sparked up a massive wave of protest and outrage uh, against the way that, you know, um, black people have been treated in a lot of countries, not just the U.S., but, you know, across South America as well. Uh, we see black people, you know, sort of um, organizing and protesting against a systematic uh, discrimination that, that's existed for, you know, for a very long time. And I feel there's... It's, it's not going to be easy to come up with solutions to, some, to something that's so politically charged, so uh, racially charged, because at the end of the day, you're going you're gonna to rob someone wrong one way or the other. Uh, no matter what route you take, you're never going to be able to please anyways, uh, anybody, everybody. So it's, it's quite tricky when you think about solutions. But I think uh, personally from what I've seen in Singapore, um, I think education should really be you know, where we start. So because, uh, so let me just give you an example. So in, in, in um, the army, in the Singapore Armed Forces, um, you, you do see a lot of Malays and you do see a lot of Chinese people who sign, who sign on and they're now regular officers or regular specialists in the army. So, you know, that's their day job. But uh, rarely do you find a Malay officer. And obviously officer is a higher rank. I'm talking about like colonels or majors or captains as opposed to just uh, sergeants or warrant officers who are sort of the lower rank. You know, they, they get lesser pay, they have lesser responsibility and everything. And it's very rare that you see any Malays who are, um, you know, above, uh, above that warrant officer level. Maybe they're not, you don't see that many who are captains or majors. And, you know, um, I, I mean, I don't know exactly how it works because I'm not privy to that sort of information. But I feel that uh, some of it might come down to education because um, in general, some people may be less educated than others. And it just so happens to be that it's the Malays who, you know, maybe don't um, get that many opportunities for education. So they're not looked at as serious candidates for the very high important jobs. So that's, that's why I think, you know, like we have to start somewhere. And if we, and you know, a good place to start would be education. If we can ensure that everyone has equitable education where, you know, we're, we're taught some of the basics of humanity, which you would think we wouldn't need to learn, but I feel like we do. What past events have shown that we do, that, you know, everyone is equal. It doesn't matter where you come from or, you know, what you look like. Everyone is equal and we should all be given the same chances. And I think it just starts from there and then we build up as a society, I guess. 
That's a really good idea. I hadn't actually um, thought of that because I also thought from a more macro perspective, it's very important, especially right now, given COVID-19, there has been economic slowdown globally. And a lot of um, nationalist politicians, what they're doing is they're using culture and they're using race as a form of demarcation to kind of create divides in society. But I think it's fundamental for us to draw the line between the two because with them manipulating this like that, it could lead to some very dangerous consequences as we've seen in the US as well. So I think we really need to draw the line between the two. Yeah, for sure. And I think what's worse is that, you know, in the pandemic, uh, what and, and, and any crisis really that, you know, has ever happened, it's usually the poor that are hurt the most because, you know, the rich always have, you know, some way to bounce back. But the poor really have nothing. And this applies, you know, in multiple ways. Even just um, statistically speaking, um, in, in the U.S., blacks and Latinos are much more likely to contract the virus and die from it just because, you know, they've, they've been, uh, for, for years now, they, they've been surviving on lower income. So they haven't been getting a proper diet, you know, like, um, you know, maybe they've been uh, eating uh, substandard food or they're not living in great conditions. So that all has, you know, a sort of impact on your body, even mentally, you know, may, maybe they're, um, more worried about, you know, having to pay rent, getting evicted, having a job and all that, as opposed to, um, you know, the uh, population there, because they're usually more uh, well off than the minorities. So, and, and that's affected them very badly health wise. But also after this is over, you know, it's going to be even more harder for those uh, lower income people, predominantly blacks and Latinos to find jobs in a recovering economy, because it's, those people that have lost their jobs, most of the white collar people have um, ma managed to, you know, keep their jobs. They're doing remote working, but blue collar work is almost completely stopped. Manufacturing is, you know, much, uh, just um, a lot of their job areas have stopped. And I think that that is something that's really important to address because we can't have that sort of a segregation between, you know, who gets to do what kind of job. In an ideal society, we wouldn't have this sort of, um, separation, we would have a system where, you know, it's just as likely for a black person to have a high paying job as it is a white person or a Latino or an Indian or an Asian, you know? So, and I think that that's going to be a big thing for countries and uh, societies to look, look at because how are they going to uh, help those that have really been hurt by this the most? Yeah, 100% because I think the economy is going to have a massive change in this infrastructure and because of that the gap the kind of inequity and the gap which is correlated in a sense with race it's going to widen even more so i think leaders and even us as citizens we really need to try to think of a strategy to kind of reduce that gap and whether it's kind of starting on a small scale such as you know making sure every individual human being has kind of good education good awareness or even maybe just using a neutral language, you know, that kind of creates the sense of a larger community rather than different groups. I think, I think the ultimate solution is just we take small steps on a small scale and build it up slowly. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely. I don't think, you know, um, uh, at, you know, any government at this stage is ready to, you know, make some sweeping changes to, you know, really shake up the system and try to give us the change that we need. But on the other hand, I feel like, you know, um, ever more with 
the protests that have happened with the Black Lives Matter movement and the George Floyd incident, uh, it feels like there is a need for a sweeping movement because, you know, what, what, what the George Floyd incident um, sort of shed light on was how, um, like, the, the entire institution, like, all the way down from the presidency to the local cops, they've all been indoctrinated, and not all, but they, a lot of them have been indoctrinated in a way to just assume that the black minority or the Latino minority are, you know, um, not uh, following the law. And they, so that's why the cops have a tendency to, you know, pull their guns on them. They have a tendency to arrest them without uh, having any proof of doing, uh, any proof of wrongdoing whatsoever, which I think is really bad. So it's not just education that needs to change. I mean, yeah, we do all need to, you know, be able to uh, have equal education to everyone else. It shouldn't be like I, so, uh, someone doesn't get any education because they, they're too poor to afford it. But as a society as well, I feel like we need to, you know, not just to uh, teach this to children, but also to adults and to make, to help them realize that we're all the same. And, you know, we shouldn't always believe what's on TV, you know, because in the movies we see, it's usually like sort of like a, uh, or a black or a Latino guy who's doing like drug deal, uh, who's dealing drugs or he's doing like, he's committing murder, which I think is a really unfair narrative because it's, it's not always that way. You know, you have white drug dealers, you have white murders, you have white murderers, you have white criminals. But for some reason, we as a society have just accepted that, you know, like in the movies, we're going to see a person of color committing crimes and the white person is going to be the cop that's set out to catch them. So it's not just education that needs to change. I think it's a complete overhaul of society. And in understanding that at, at, the, and at the end of the day, we're all the same people. So we need to respect that. Yeah, uh, I agree. But I definitely think this is something that will take a very long time to implement because what we kind of need to work towards is biologically and psychologically we have these subconscious urges and drives to you know kind of associate our preferences with our own ethnic groups right but i think what our role as citizens now is kind of to create that conscious awareness which overrides these subconscious drives which is a long-term process but we need to do that through for example even just media and the presentation like you mentioned of different ethnic groups that kind of needs to be more neutral and also just different political economic even social uh, initiatives kind of slowly to build this up because this will take a very long time to truly truly make a fixable difference yeah i mean it's funny that you mentioned you know trying to override the consciousness because uh in singapore actually they launched a program called the speak good english program which is where they were really trying to promote english as a national language uh as opposed to chinese you know as the language that everyone mm-hmm. uses. sorry yeah yeah i was agreeing with you Oh, okay. Yeah, so they were trying to promote English as, you know, the national language, you know, the language that everyone should know, and Chinese, Tamil, and Malay should be secondary languages. Because, I mean, their reasoning was that, you know, it's better to be uh, using English in the business world because that's how the business world operates. And to an extent, they are correct. I mean, um, Singapore has been one of the Asian tigers, the countries that have experienced rapid growth throughout the, uh, throughout the 20th century and into even the 21st century. Um, as opposed to other countries who were badly hit by recessions and whatnot. Uh, so financial aspect of it is true, but it got a lot of kickback in society because uh, a lot of the Chinese, um, ethnic Chinese people felt that it was, the government was trying to sort of pander to the minorities and get rid of their culture, which, uh, I mean, I, I can't say if that was their intent, but I can see 
why the Chinese people would have felt like it because all of a sudden um, Singapore, who, um, you know, like, let's face it, has been a predominantly Chinese state, is now being turned into a state, you know, that follows English. That, and it's sort of like stepping away from the traditional uh, paternalistic beliefs that uh, Singapore did to a more global and modernized uh, take on what a, uh, you know, well-functioning city should look like. So it's not always the case that if, if we can try to build a national unity to, you know, like to have a one size fits all for everyone that lives here, but maybe it's more about, you know, integrating it, you know, like it's, it's sort of like, I, I think of it like as a quilt and you have different nationalities, different cultures that are patched together, that are sewn together to form the quilt. And that quilt is the nationality. So I don't think that nationality should be something that's, you know, purely driven by, uh, the language you speak or where you come from, but it should be, you know, w what you call home. And, and that shouldn't have any barriers as to what country you were originally from. It should just be where you call home, where you work, what you most associate with. Yeah, and I think that point that you raised is the most important, I guess, takeaway from all of this is the fact that this issue is very complex, you know, because in trying to retain... Um, racial harmony, we also have to make sure that we're not losing different parts of different cultures to kind of mold one harmonious culture sort of thing. But yeah, it's, it's important to kind of retain each individual um, person's identity and kind of build something up from that. Yeah, I, I do agree that there should be some sort of a national face. But, um, you know, I'm just, uh, it's just, it's, it's going to be a tricky thing because you don't want to, you know, just take parts of a culture that you like and take parts that you don't like and you know just pick and choose because i don't think you get to do that you're um you know countries are societies aren't that lucky to just you know choose whoever they want and go forward because we get you know like well at least in singapore and a lot of places we get people from everywhere and you know it's our job to integrate everyone into our society however we can do so so maybe you know um it's not it's not more of you know creating a top-down approach to what being a Singaporean or being an American or being a British person is it's about a bottom-up approach you know what we feel make us Singaporean and that is what makes us all Singaporean so uh, yeah like kind of like what you said I think it's it's important for us to maintain that multiculturalism while also promoting a you know a common understanding of our nationality mm -hmm. yeah that that would be the ideal world, I suppose, you know, the perfect world. Yeah. But I guess just talking about it in some sense raises awareness about these subtle issues that a lot of us may have overlooked. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, um, racial harmony day has gone and gone by for the 14 years that I've lived here. I haven't given it much thought, but you know, I mean, just cause we were thinking about doing this podcast, I started to really think about how I've, experienced this and I've come to realize that you know like yeah I may say that my experiences haven't been that bad but that's not to say that you know there were cases of you know um subtle racism and I think um the the sooner we learn to accept that the sooner we can all move forward as society and because it, it's gonna take a long time I mean you know like it's been what like since the 1600s actively since the 1600 um black people have been traded as slaves ever since you know the north americas were colonized and uh africa was colonized but and and still to this day there's still a lot of racism towards black people so that's what like 400 500 400 years now 
So it's obviously going to take a lot of time, but I think we, we need to start getting somewhere where everyone feels safe in their own society, regardless of what they look like and be able to live in harmony with their neighbors, you know, regardless of their political opinions, you know, whether you're conservative or whether you're liberal or whether, you know, um, which, which, which end of the spectrum you live on, it's, it's important to recognize that beyond all that, we are all human. We are all people, you know, with the same sort of, yeah, the same, like the same sort of values at heart. So beyond everything that we create as social constructs, we are still human. And I think we should appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the turns and twists that our conversation has taken, I think it's just a case in point that it is noticing these little things that really raise these big fundamental questions about just the way the world works and the society we live in. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's such a complex thing. And I, I don't think, you know, uh, even a 3R discussion will... Uh, do justice to that because there's so much going on in the world and we can't address all of it you know with just us too because even us we have a collected amount of like 37 years of experience with us which i i don't think is enough you know we need the entire society entire world working on this because it is a massive project and it's going to take a long time but i think um you know if we acknowledge that there is work to be done and we're willing to you know try and overcome our differences i think that's always going to be the best place to start and we can just take it from there Mm -hmm. it's been great talking to you yeah you too till next time Bye. bye